It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. You are Locked On Vikings, your daily Minnesota Vikings podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Locked On Vikings. I am your host, your pal, and the kid you copied off in math class. My name is Luke Braun. You can find me on Twitter at Luke Braun NFL. You can find the show on Twitter at Locked On Vikings. You can find this show anywhere you find your favorite podcasts, like Spotify, Himalaya, Podbean, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, whatever you like. Or if you don't like any of those services, or if you're maybe a commuter, you don't want to be looking at your phone while you're finding your podcast, you can always just ask your smart device, like Siri or even Alexa or Google Home, play podcast Locked on Vikings, and it'll take you right to the most recent episode. And today we get to recap a Vikings win, an incredible game, a last-second victory in primetime against a good opponent in the Dallas Cowboys, the Vikings triumph. 28 to 24, destroying like a million narratives all in one beautiful night. It wasn't all good. There were a lot of mistakes and a lot of things that we have to probably go over and figure out, but right now we can just sit here and bask in the win. And overall, the vibe that I got from this game was really playoff y. Like, I, I know that's a weird thing to say in like November, but it felt like a playoff game in that this was a game between two very clearly good teams. And I think the way that you can like kind of discern that is that. Think about the plays that defined this game. They were good plays by good players, not bad plays by bad players. I mean, look at a game between, like, like Miami and Washington played each other, right? And that was a game defined by bad players making bad plays. And the game was decided by, like, who makes the least mistakes, right? This game was defined by a—and I think the Chiefs game, too—was defined by players— making good plays, right? This was Amari Cooper making toe-tap sideline catches all throughout an entire drive. This was Dalvin Cook, you know, wiggling through a million tackles, and we'll talk about that too. You know, this was Kirk Cousins under a, a ton of pressure. The offensive line got absolutely dusted tonight. Under a ton of pressure, finding a way to check down and, and get the ball out to a skill player to maybe get a couple of yards here or there. The defining plays of this game, I mean, this is this is Eric Kendrick's breaking up a, a pass on fourth and five, right? Not necessarily, oh, you know, it was fourth and five and, and Dask, Dak Prescott threw a bad pass. No, that didn't happen. Dak Prescott's pass was about as perfect as you could ask it to be, but the coverage was good. And that's the kind of thing that I, I think defines games that make them feel to me like they were playoff games and not just random regular season games between random, you know, 500 teams or whatever. No, these are two good teams. And now the Vikings are 7-3 and three, in great shape in the NFC. They're two games ahead of the next wild card challenger. And they only have two road games left on their entire schedule at Chargers and at Seahawks. And beyond that, and I think the thing that everybody's going to talk about here, and I'll, I'll just mention it, but I don't really have much to like analyze about it, is that this is a game that like defied a million narratives, right? Kirk Cousins, big win in primetime. Kirk Cousins against the Cowboys, right? Kirk Cousins on the road, technically outdoors because they open, open the roof. Even the one that I've been pushing, which is the Vikings against alternate unis, uh, against alternate uniforms, you know, the Cowboys wore a, a home alternate to force the Vikings into their regular road uniforms and that is an unusual thing and every time the vikings play unusual uniforms they like falter it obviously doesn't mean anything it's been mostly a joke but still they won against it and ultimately this was a game carried by the offense and the defense had a ton of issues in this game and it doesn't really feel like it because i mean they only scored like 24 right and they got like stops when it mattered but obviously i mean the the cowboys gashed them on a few concepts and to me it seemed like let's start here it seemed like the vikings were in a lot of very soft coverages 
cover four was uh, the coverage a ton of the time they were in a bunch of split safety looks playing quarters coverage and the cowboys were like okay we'll take all the slants you can give us and and intermediate digs and stuff and they gave up third and longs a bunch of times and third and mediums a bunch of times on this kind of stuff and that is huge 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 problem but mike zimmer has said this before and i haven't gotten to his press conference yet so i don't know if he said it after this one but he always says when stuff like this happens hey it's great to have problems in a win because that means you get to identify them and go back and fix them, but you don't have to pay a loss to do it. And I think that that's going to kind of be my mood on this one, is that, hey, it's it's great that you get to identify this stuff in a win. And it is a huge problem, and unfortunately, you know, on the broadcast tape, and I was watching it, like, in a bar with a friend and stuff, so, like, as of recording this podcast, I can't tell you exactly what happened here. It looked like, to me, that they were playing a lot of soft coverages, and, and Dallas knew that they play, that they play a lot of soft coverages, they've been playing these soft coverages all year, and Dallas said, okay, we're gonna, you know, take what you give us, which is eight yards a pop, and we're gonna, you know, march down the field, and, and the Vikings didn't really have an answer for that, and they probably have to make an adjustment. My guess is that they have to make a pretty big adjustment going into the last six games of the year and possibly playoffs and I think even the worst offenses left on their schedule can take advantage of them if they don't fix those issues but what those issues actually are I can't speak with too much specificity other than I don't know it seems like they're in off coverage too often but I don't know why that is because a lot of the time you know that that is on purpose to you know guard against something that I'm not noticing so I can't really speak to it right now and I I hate to do this because I like it feels like such a cop-out but like I think I'm gonna defer that to tomorrow's episode where I get to look at the tape a little bit more and I think I'm gonna talk mostly about the offense and some of the bigger moments of this game but but suffice it to say do not under any circumstances let yourself fall victim to an argument that the defense had a decent game they did not they had a really bad game they were good against Ezekiel Elliott. They stopped the run game, but honestly, I don't think their Ezekiel Elliott run game is that good. I think that the Dallas run game is a lot better with more like more uh, like quick style running backs like Tony Pollard. Like the Tony Pollard run game has been better from like EBA and missed tackles and all kinds of stuff. It's kind of a, a halfway joke point that I've been making, but like they haven't been that great with Ezekiel Elliott this year. It's been kind of a Dak Prescott show, and I think that this particular game was like a huge, huge uh, chunk of evidence in favor of that point about the Dallas Cowboys, and the Vikings couldn't stop Dak Prescott. They lost contain on him a bunch, which gave him the the time to run around and make plays. Sometimes they didn't need to do that. There was a lot of rhythm passing that happened against the Vikings, and good defenses don't let that up. Here's the deal. Defense had like three not very good games in a row efficiency-wise, and it is time to make a pretty significant adjustment. Maybe that means moving away from the cover four, moving back to the cover three that the Rams found a way to get rid of. But like the tape that they've put out this season has all been that quarters coverage, that Michigan State thing that people are now like running a million slants and a million like quick in routes and stuff to take advantage of. And if you start calling more of a cover three defense, like the cover three, and I, and I broke down on Thursday's show, the cover three that, that Dallas runs, that defense for all the weaknesses that I pointed out on Thursday would actually counter a ton of the stuff that Dallas ran against the Vikings on Sunday night. 
And it's the kind of defense that Mike Zimmer ran for like four years here in Minnesota. Maybe going back to it is the answer here. Maybe it's something else. Again, I, I, I reserve the right to completely over uh, overturn all of these takes right now. But this is just like the idea that I got off of just the live watch of the game, which I basically like drove home from the bar I was at and immediately sat down and recorded. So that's where I'm at here. So before we go any deeper into this game, let's talk a little bit about your relationship, fellas. You should put in the work, right? Your partner deserves every effort you can possibly put in. And that's why I am here to talk to you about Blue Chew. It is the first chewable tablet of its kind. It has the same active ingredients as like Viagra and Cialis. You kind of know what we're talking about here. But it's a chewable, which means that instead of taking a pill, it kicks in like twice as fast. Blue Chew is made right here in the United States, which means it it ships directly to your door. That means no pharmacy, no waiting, no awkwardness, and skipping all of those steps makes it a little bit cheaper as well. And it ships in a nice discreet package, so you got nothing to worry about. And hey, Blue Chew isn't just for like men of a certain age who like, you know, can't, you know, perform the way that they used to. This is for anybody looking to engage in a little bit of self-improvement for the sake of somebody they love. So who can say no to that? So go to bluechew.com right now. That's B-L-U-E, blue, like the color blue, chew.com. And hey, enter promo code locked on. You can try it for free. That's bluechew.com. Try it today. Hi, this is David Locke, the CEO of the Lockdown Podcast Network. In this crazy, unprecedented, and unnerving time, I know we're all living our lives a little differently. I thought we had some of our sponsors over the time that might be able to help you out. So we've reached out to them to get you specific offers. Postmates is giving our listeners $100 of free delivery credit for their first seven days. Start your free deliveries, download the Postmates app, and use the promo code LOCKEDONNBA. Anxiety, stress, need something to calm yourself down? The Calm app is available for you. 40% off to our listeners at calm.com slash locked on NBA. Stuck at home, want fitness? Echelon Fit has been a sponsor of ours. And you can go to echelonfit.com slash L-O-N-B-A. And if you're looking to add some new knowledge and get a little smarter in your free time, Masterclass, or at least your time at home, masterclass.com slash P-E-R is offering 15% off. If you missed any of those, go to LockdownPodcast.com slash offers. That's LockdownPodcast.com slash offers. Thank you very much for tuning in to Lockdown Podcast Network. We hope to be here for you to give you a relief and uh, respite from all the other news. And thanks very much. Be safe and practice your social distancing. All right, so before we move on to some of the offensive stuff and some of the key moments, real quick, a stat about Ezekiel Elliott, who was held to under 50 yards with over 20 carries, a thing that has never happened to him in his NFL career. So I I think it is fair to call it a career low for Ezekiel Elliott, and it's pretty pretty good feeling to hand him that. All right, so let's talk a little bit about uh, some of the key moments of this game. And and I actually want to start not with the fourth down stuff in the fourth quarter, like the very end stuff. We'll get to that. Uh, But I want to talk about some of the stuff that happened earlier in the game, specifically with, like, Dalvin Cook and Kirk Cousins. Because, uh, like, Kirk Cousins, I think there's going to be a lot of debate about his game here. There was a stat that Arif Hassan... Uh, tweeted out that like 144 of his like 260 yards were that came after the catch and that you know a lot of the work that was done in this one was like not really done by Kirk Cousins and I kind of agree with that but I also don't really have an issue with that like I don't think that it works as a criticism of him because a lot of those yards after the catch plays like were good Kirk Cousins plays because he was under pressure a ton right I, like I think the pressure numbers from this one are going to be pretty pretty bad I think maybe his best throw of the night I mean his best throw of the night was the Kyle Rudolph touchdown the uh the, the one-handed catch which was just an unbelievable catch. I don't think I'll ever possibly comprehend 
that Kyle Rudolph catch. That was like maybe the best play of his entire career, and it's been a long career. That play was just on another level from him, and, and the throw was pretty good. I, I was talking to the people that I was with at the time, and we all thought that he that Kirk Cousins was genuinely trying to throw that one away, and I wouldn't be surprised if Kirk Cousins did admit eventually, like, yeah, I was trying to throw it away, and he just like found a way to go catch it, and that's insane. Like, I, I wouldn't be surprised if that actually happened. Maybe Kirk Cousins was trying to put it in a good spot, and if he was trying to put it in a good spot, it's not the worst miss of, of in the world, but it definitely isn't like as accurate as you would hope. But either way, incredible catch, incredible play, and uh, the the second Kyle Rudolph touchdown was really nice too. And then Kyle Rudolph got a, a two point conversion, great game for him. I, I, it's it's nice to like see that kind of renaissance after a really really quiet season from him after signing the extension and stuff, having him come in in like truly the clutchest moment and have the game of his game of the year is really really great to see. But back to Kirk Cousins. A lot, like, I think maybe that throw, and I really liked the Diggs throw uh, down the sideline. It was a back shoulder throw that uh, Diggs ended up having to adjust and dive for, and it was the one that was uh, that, that was originally called incomplete and then overturned. I believe it was in a two-minute drill at the end of the first half. I didn't hate that throw. I actually thought that was a pretty good one because of the positioning that the cornerback had that Shadobi Awuzi had. Uh, I thought that that was really the only way that you can get that one is to like overthrow it and hope Diggs adjusts, which you can kind of trust Diggs to do, uh, assuming he did that on purpose and he didn't just like underthrow it on accident. But I, I don't think that that was the case. It did seem like that was kind of a purposeful way to give Diggs the chance to adjust and beat the cornerback that way because he hadn't beat the cornerback on the on his release or stem of the route. Maybe I'm giving Kirk Cousins too much credit there, but I, I didn't hate that throw. Uh, the, the rest of it was like fairly accurate. You know, I was pretty critical of, of Kirk after the, the Chiefs game. And in this one, like he hit all the easy throws. He had a lot of easy throws, but he hit all the easy throws. And I think he had some easy throws in tough circumstances, if that makes sense. I mean, he was under a lot of pressure. There was a lot of like, you know, guy bearing down on him and he just has to hit a screen pass and he hit that pass or a swing pass and he hit that pass or just, you know, find a check down off your back foot and go get it to him and, and then have Dalvin Cook do the rest of the work. I, I think that like... In terms of, like, yards after catch plays, these were more difficult yards after catch plays than yards after catch plays typically are. I still think that, like, a 10-yard route, you know, uh, get it over a linebacker and into a tight window is probably a tougher throw than all the throws that, like, Kirk had to make. But, like, oh, my God, who cares, right? Like, he did fine. Like, at the very worst, the most critical I could possibly be, you could say that, yeah, Kirk Cousins' job was easy tonight. And, like, that's not really a complaint at all. So personally, I'm completely satisfied with him. But let's talk a little bit about Dalvin Cook because, oh my god, Dalvin Cook took over the game. And I was watching with a Cowboys fan and he was lamenting every time that the cow that, that Dalvin Cook got the ball. The Cowboys miss at least two tackles before they get him down. It was kind of true. And I think that this was a game I, I might actually like look a little bit deeper into it because I think this was a, a really good example of something that I've been talking about with Dalvin Cook pretty much every time I talk about him is, is the way that he is his quick feet and very savvy running and just like manipulation of leverage causes missed tackles because like it wasn't like they had bad tackling form it's that they ended up in way worse position than they thought they were in and here's the thing Dallas's defense is star-studded and I'll be the first to praise Dallas's defense I mean the, the linebacker core is three superstars you've got Sean Lee I think he's a superstar he, he made a couple of really great veteran plays I thought Jalen Smith made a couple of unbelievable plays to get to the edge and I thought that uh Leighton Vander Esch had his impacts as well those are their three running their three linebackers I probably should have like previewed them in the Thursday show because those are three incredible players Vander Esch you know as, as a rookie is just like on fire 
and Demarcus Lawrence chasing down plays as well. I mean, they showed it a couple times on the broadcast, the screenplay where he got pressure on the quarterback, turned around, and then got the tackle on the screen. That's an unbelievable play. And like, as the screen got like five yards too, it wasn't like he chased down, you know, a 15 yard gain and it was like, yeah, congrats on your 15 yard tackle. No, it was like a good play against a screen. The Dallas defense is full of, of really, really incredible athletes. And the fact that Dalvin Cook could get the edge at all is something that only superstars can do. Like, I don't think other players can get the edge. And let's talk a little bit about Alexander Madison, too, who was bouncing off tackles from these superstar players. And he almost got himself a touchdown in that it got overturned and then it ended up being a Dalvin Cook touchdown, which is kind of a bad beat for him, but I'm sure he's not too mad about it. I've talked a ton about this uh, this season about my kind of like personal existential struggle with the running backs don't matter trope uh, and that whole take and, and the, the you know evidence behind it and everything. There's all kinds of great evidence that like running backs don't really own their own rushing production and it's really more up to the offensive line, whether or not they open the hole for them and then the running back gets to do what they do. But by the time time it actually comes time for the running back to do something that requires them to be good they've already gotten five or six yards and and that still I think rings true but there were plays by both running backs in this game that I I think really really like overturn that stereotype I guess that really show that I I guess Dalvin Cook specifically I mean Madison did fine but Dalvin Cook specifically made plays that not every running back makes and I think it means that maybe instead of dismissing running backs entirely maybe we're just not that good at measuring it and and I've been kind of on this for a while that for a while I've thought that it was that you know teams aren't good at using running backs but running backs are good athletes they're good players but teams aren't good at using them and that's why like the 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 production behind running back centric plays is so low it's that teams aren't very good at it and they will figure it out and get better at it and so the renaissance of the running back is coming that's kind of been my take for a couple years now but maybe we're just not good at measuring it maybe I mean there are plays in this game that not every running backs makes I, I think that there was one like check down where Dalvin Cook made like two people miss and turned a two-yard loss into like a 12 yard gain and it was like this unbelievable thing and it was like fairly routine for him and I do think that Dalvin Cook's play in this game and and Diggs too he he got a couple of really important plays had that drop in the end zone that turned a a possible touchdown drive into uh, a field goal although it was kind of contested it was difficult it wasn't one that I'm going to be like too upset about Uh, but uh, other than that I mean he had like a couple of great slants he had a couple of really awesome plays that incredible catch that I already talked about and of course you know Kyle Rudolph had his big day uh, the skill players really, I think, carried some play calls that I don't think worked. Um, you know, they're, and, and, and I don't know if they were bad or not because I couldn't see the route concepts, obviously. It was more that, like, yeah, the offensive line got toasted and, and the skill players made something happen. And I think that Kirk Cousins deserves credit for allowing the skill players to make something happen on a play where the offensive line almost ruined it. But I still think that, like, most of the credit for that should go to the skill players. And, you know, Irv Smith, B.C. Johnson, the rookies, like, they they had their part in this, too. Overall, this was an incredibly efficient offensive game. And, and, and like, I think they scored on all, the, what, they punt, like, two or three times over the course of a whole game? Like, that's phenomenal. And most of all, I'm, I'm really excited to dig into exactly what happened here with the Vikings offense and exactly what they called to beat that, you know, that Dallas cover three. I do think that a lot of the big plays were on, like, cover three beaters, you know, plays designed to beat that cover three that Dallas runs all the time. Um, But a lot of it was just misdirection, you know, the rollout plays, the screen plays. These are things that, that the Vikings have essentially survived off of all season. 
you know, and I, I kind of think that like somebody eventually is going to figure it out. I actually think Denver has a good chance to be this team. Somebody's going to figure out that if you commit to stopping rollouts and screens, the Vikings are going to have to, you know, like they're going to fall apart because they've been relying on this so much. And I think that eventually somebody's going to get there and figure it out. But Dallas was not that team. And that means you got a primetime road win. So, hey, treat yourself to that meal you deserve and have your favorite restaurants come to you with DoorDash. Right now, our listeners can get $5 off of their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter promo code Locked On. So for the last part of today's show, let's talk a little bit about some of the key moments. And the one I want to start with is Mike Zimmer being extremely aggressive on the final scoring drive for the Vikings of the game, where they had a drive where it was like seven run plays, six or seven run plays in a row. Uh, and they ended up getting from like midfield all the way down to point blank range. And then there was a stupid false start and they managed to get themselves all the way back down to point blank range. Uh, they had a, a failure. They ended up with a fourth and goal with not very much room to go. And the decision to go for it is an extremely aggressive one that I did not think Mike Zimmer would make. It was 20 to 21. And I thought, hey, you know, Mike Zimmer is the kind of coach. He's old school. He's going to be conservative and he's going to like be content with his lead here you know, go up 23-21 and hope your defense can make a stop. But the defense wasn't playing well. And I think that everybody with common sense and a feel for the pace of that game knew that you kind of needed a touchdown there. And also there's a good analytical case to be made that when you are that close to a touchdown, you know, don't deprive yourself of an opportunity at four extra points by being conservative, I guess is the the most concise way to explain that argument. Uh, and the, you know, Mike Zimmer went for it and, and he knew, like, I, I think that he is, he talked uh, about, you know, not really considering analytics in his fourth down decision making, which of course I disagree with because that's kind of my brand. And it led to a, a bunch of really conservative decision making when it came uh, to the Chiefs game, but in this one, he did make an aggressive decision. So it, it's really nice that even though he's like, I don't use analytics, that he's like open to aggressive fourth down decision making here, because that was an aggressive call. You know, a, a lot of coaches would take their lead and be happy with it. And they ran the ball to Dalvin Cook. They got the touchdown easy, pretty much walked in. And then instead of deciding to go up six, they go up seven. They went up for the the two-point conversion. They get it to Kyle Rudolph. And then later in the game, that matters a ton in that final fourth down stand. So let's talk about that a little bit because this was the moment where I thought the Cowboys kind of gave the game away. And I don't think that it would be like a a fair assessment of this game without talking about how the Cowboys kind of gift wrapped this one. So like picking up at their second and two, I definitely understand running on second and two there and they end up getting, getting a stop there. Because, you know, again, the Vikings have basically handed Ezekiel Elliott, like, the worst game of his career. Like, the worst rushing game the Cowboys have had since drafting Ezekiel Elliott. And, by the way, without Linval Joseph. So, you know, I guess the interior kind of outplayed what I thought they would do, especially Jaleel Johnson. I think the third and two run play was a really bad call. Not necessarily because running on third and two in a vacuum is bad. Like, third and two is definitely a rushing down, especially in four down territory, which they were in. Uh, But I think just the way that the game had flowed, obviously Ezekiel Elliott was going to get crushed there. And that's what happened. He lost three yards and set up a fourth and five. And I think that that three-yard loss and not just being a stop at the line of scrimmage ended up absolutely mattering. Because if it's fourth and two, you can run the out route that Ezekiel Elliott ran on that fourth down that Eric Kendricks ends up breaking up. You can run that and cut that outside way faster. And I don't know if Eric Kendricks can get outside as fast. And then you can actually like place the ball in a spot where Kendricks can't get to it. But that spot wasn't allowed. That wasn't available to to Dak Prescott because Kirk, uh, Eric Kendricks had such good coverage there. 
and the like the the distance that the Cowboys had to get allowed Eric Kendricks to have that good coverage. So I think really like the play of the game was that third and two stop and the fact that they ran out of shotgun and like it, it just was like a slower developing play and it was like very susceptible to being tackled for loss. I don't know. I feel like that was just one of these horrible coaching moments for Gar- Jason Garrett. So they don't get the fourth and five and then the Vikings end up kind of sputtering out and giving uh the the Cowboys the ball back I mean they run three times you take the three timeouts I don't necessarily disagree with that Uh, I know that some people may have wanted you to like hey pass you know try to get the first down and don't give them the ball back but because you didn't have a lot of time left it it was a very interesting clock management moment in that final series that ended in in the turnover on downs for the Cowboys because both teams were content to let the clock run because the Cowboys were basically putting it in a situation of, of hey okay we score here or we lose and, you know, we don't want to put the ball in the hands of the Vikings offense anymore. And the Vikings were also content with that. If I were the Vikings, I actually would have taken timeouts there because, you know, the only way you lose the game is if the Cowboys score there and you don't have enough time to go back and score yourself. So I, I don't care if, if you know, you take a bunch of timeouts and the Cowboys fail to score and then they have all their timeouts left and stuff like that. I, I probably am more okay with that scenario, even though that I guess is that's how it would have played out if the, the Vikings had taken timeouts. I would much rather give my team the like enough time to score in the event that the Cowboys score there. But I, I digress. Both teams were... Uh, content to let the clock run out so that way when the Vikings actually get the ball back they had like 30 seconds left or something like that so they were definitely clear to just like run three run plays make the Cowboys use all their timeouts and then punt them deep and then the Cowboys were in kind of an impossible situation from there but punting them deep didn't work out very well because the punt coverage had a really really bad play they didn't get down to Tavon Austin to like actually force him to fair catch that was a completely unforced fair catch which is another I think Jason Jason Garrett or whoever made that call, but I'm going to kind of pin it on Jason Garrett because it felt like a head coaching call to say, okay, do the fair catch. Don't risk a stupid fumble or any other dumb stuff and, you know, save the clock, but you're not going to get a faster, I would call it 20 yards were available to Tavon Austin on that play. You're not going to get a faster 20 yards than that. So, so fair catching and forfeiting those 20 yards only to spend like 11 of the remaining 17 seconds getting the 20 yards that you could have had for free in like four or five seconds doesn't make a lot of sense to me. And it, it, to me, it feels like a lucky break that the Vikings kind of got away with. Uh, and then, of course, you know, from there, they, they managed to get the Hail Mary and and uh, stop it with an interception from J. Ron Curse, which is really nice. And that was enough to do it. The Vikings run away with the win 28 to 24. They moved to seven and three on this season. They have Denver coming up next week. But of course, tomorrow we'll go deeper into this Dallas game. We're not done basking in this fella yet, but we are done for tonight. That is going to do it for today's episode of Locked on Vikings. I will see you all tomorrow. Of course, you can find this podcast anywhere you find your favorite podcast. You can find me on Twitter at Luke Braun NFL. You can find the show on Twitter at Locked on Vikings. You can find this show in addition to whatever podcast app you like you can always ask your smart device to play podcast locked on vikings i will see you all tomorrow with a much more in-depth review of this win but for now let's just bask in it soak it in everybody i will see you all tomorrow and as always skull hey sports fans my name is ben beacon i'm the host of locked on wolves the minnesota timberwolves podcast on the locked on nba network the wolves might be in the middle of what's turned out to be a pretty miserable season but there's still plenty to talk about 
From the aftermath of the trade deadline to looking ahead at what moves Gerson Rosas and the front office might be planning for the summer to the possibility that all-star snub Carl Anthony Towns could go off on any given night, it's still going to be a fun spring. Tune into Locked on Wolves daily, Monday through Friday. I'm Ben Beacon with Locked on Wolves, and we'll catch you next time.